It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, September 10th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Up ahead on the California Report, good news for Governor Gavin Newsom. A new poll out today from the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies finds 60% of likely voters oppose the recall. Then, more evacuations for Lassen County due to increased activity from the Dixie Fire. We'll take a brief look at local headlines and weather before Felton Pruitt speaks to Circle's Communications and Engagement Director, Betsy Brunner, about their Cannabis Impact Survey results. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. With California's recall election wrapping up next Tuesday, a new poll out this morning has good news for Governor Gavin Newsom. KQED's Katie Orr reports. The poll from the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies finds 60 percent of likely voters oppose the recall, a vote to keep Newsom in office. That's up from 50 percent in July. IGS poll director Mark DiCamillo. What we're seeing now is that Democrats, 80 percent, are saying that they're, you know, giving a high probability of voting or that they uh, uh, have already voted. So you've got this interest gap has now shrunk considerably. In addition, nearly half of Democratic voters plan to skip the second question on the ballot, which asks who should replace Newsom. Among the replacement candidates, Republican Larry Elder leads with 38 percent of the vote. No other candidate is above 10 percent. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Meanwhile, Newsom and Elder were both in Fresno yesterday making their respective recall campaign pitches to voters. Here's the California Report's Alex Hall with more. Larry Elder showed up at a hotel near the Fresno Yosemite Airport early Thursday morning for a breakfast with farmers to talk mainly water and crime. He opened the roundtable by explaining he was here to listen and said his first step as governor would be to declare a public emergency so water infrastructure projects could move forward. Speaking to farmers in Kern County, and they're always sitting around telling me about their problems and about water now being rationed. This is ridiculous. We have, we have water. Uh, if, it's, if it's allocated properly and we prepare properly, we shouldn't be having these kinds of problems. Among those in the room was Ryan Jacobson, head of the Fresno County Farm Bureau. The Farm Bureau is not endorsing Elder or anyone on the ballot, but Jacobson said he's willing to talk to any candidate because California agriculture is in jeopardy and fixing that does not seem to be a priority. When you affect this region, you're affecting the nation's plate, and we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be gone. It's not going to be solved tomorrow. We need somebody who's committed to understanding it's going to be longer than his or her term as um, governor, but you got to start somewhere, and you got to start somewhere soon, or else it, this is all going to be gone uh, before we know it. Also in Fresno Thursday was Governor Gavin Newsom. Speaking to supporters and volunteers at a Carpenters Union local, Newsom railed into elders' positions on guns and the minimum wage, plus his comments about women, telling the crowd they're the only thing standing in the way of elder becoming governor. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno.
Managing California's water supply requires an enormous amount of energy. Now, new research suggests making the state's water system more efficient is also a climate solution. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains. Water on farms is processed less than water in urban places like the Bay Area. That results in urban areas using more energy to provide water, which means more greenhouse gas emissions. That's according to a new report from the Pacific Institute. Heather Cooley directs research for the group. She says to think of all the energy it takes to warm a hot shower. A lot of that is heated by natural gas, and so there are carbon emissions associated with that. As the state's population increases, the number of showers goes up and energy demands grow. That's why she says it's imperative that cities continue to move away from gas-powered infrastructure and electrify as much as possible. For the California Report, I'm Messer David Romero. More evacuation warnings have been issued for parts of Lassen County this morning due to increased activity from the Dixie Fire. Most of the heavy fire activity over the last few days has come along the northern flank of the blaze. Chief Tony Braunwell is with Cal Fire. The fire is actually up and it made about a nine mile run. So it was, it was running about two to three miles an hour. That is hard to keep pace with a fire that big. Crews battling both the Dixie Fire and the Caldor Fire to the south of it will be facing increased winds in the area today, as a red flag warning remains in effect through late this evening. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's Weekly Magazine. This week, it's a documentary about how tribal leaders in far northern California are addressing domestic violence by talking openly about the traumas of the past. Things like boarding school, the Indian Slave Act, and massacres. That's Abby Abenanti, the Chief Justice of the Yurok Tribe. Everyone calls her Judge Abby. And that behavior that came out of those things trickled down to the behavior you're seeing today. Those are the symptoms. But if you have the symptom and you have no idea what the context is, it's really hard to stop it. Judge Abby works with domestic violence survivors and perpetrators to understand how colonization created cycles of trauma and abuse. People covered up the dance sites, hid the regalia, weren't allowed to speak the language. Language is something that comes out of what people think and believe. And so we learned another language that didn't think and believe what we did. Judge Abby and other tribal leaders want to help people heal by reconnecting with the cultural practices that were taken away. Our culture is very responsibility-based, and the responsibilities are interlocking in family and in community. So you have to assist them to meet their responsibility and come back into community in a good way. 
This week's documentary focuses on one Native American family and its struggles to address domestic abuse through acknowledging the cycles of violence that have rippled through their community. To hear the documentary, tune into the California Report magazine or download the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And that is the California Report for this Friday, September 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a good weekend. A quick reminder before taking a look at local entertainment news. Nevada County Mutual Aid will be at Chicago Park School tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 12 for river fire relief efforts. NC Mutual Aid will distribute bottled water, socks, dog and cat food, N95 masks, and more to those impacted by the river fire. FEMA will also be at the school to offer assistance until 5 p.m. CAL FIRE has confirmed that the 2,618-acre blaze, which destroyed 142 structures, was started by a person in the overnight camping area of the Bear River campground. And now for local entertainment news. Curious for a peek at the newly restored Nevada Theater in downtown Nevada City? Tonight at 6.30, the historic venue presents the premiere of Golden Stories of Our Past, Women's Suffrage. The documentary tells the story of Nevada County residents Ellen Clark Sargent and Aaron Sargent. Both were instrumental in winning women's right to vote with the signing of the 19th Amendment. The Nevada Theater crew encouraged those in attendance to join them in dressing the part, wear white and dress as one of the courageous suffragettes spearheading the charge for women's right to the vote. You can catch the musical Drowsy Chaperone tonight at the Auburn State Theater. The show is a parody of 1920s American musical comedy. As a middle-aged asocial musical theater fan plays his favorite musical record, the show comes to life on stage around him. Drowsy Chaperone will have a run of performances through September 19th. For details on dates and times, head to the Auburn State Theater website. Tomorrow marks the beginning of the South Yuba River Citizens League 24th Annual Yuba River Cleanup. From 9 to 5, volunteers participate in a self-guided cleanup, helping remove trash from the trails and beaches. Individuals can also join Circle the following Saturday for their official community-wide Yuba River cleanup from 9 to 1. The 31st Annual Sierra Brewfest, a benefit for music in the mountains, takes place tomorrow from 3 to 6.30 at Western Gateway Park. Tickets can be purchased in advance or at the event. This Saturday is the final day to view multimedia artist Ruth Chase's exhibition, Blur, Unraveling the Feminine, Masculine, and Everything in Between. The Center for the Arts currently showcases her work, which Chase says deals with themes of belonging and visibility. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. The National Weather Service has issued a red flag warning for much of our listening area. The warning remains in effect until 11 p.m. tonight for gusty winds and low humidity. Any active fires or new fires that develop are likely to spread. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 58, tomorrow sunny with a high near 82. 
Sunday will be sunny as well with a high near 85. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 14. Tomorrow, moderate with a potential AQI of 57. Sunday, unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 107. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 42. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 75. Sunday, sunny with a high near 78. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 39. Tomorrow, good with a potential AQI of 44. Sunday, moderate with a potential AQI of 56. The National Weather Service has issued a lake wind advisory in effect until 8 p.m. for Lake Tahoe. Gusts up to 35 miles per hour and waves up to 3 feet are likely to capsize small boats and kayaks. And for our friends to the south in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 59. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 89. Sunday will be sunny as well with a high near 93. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 21. Tomorrow, good with a potential AQI of 48. Sunday, unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 114. Up next, Felton Pruitt speaks to South Yuba River Citizens League Communications and Engagement Director, Betsy Brunner, about the group's cannabis impact survey results. The survey had several goals, one being to better understand why more cultivators have yet to come into compliance. Circle was also curious about how the ever-changing landscape of cannabis cultivation is impacting the community, particularly as cultivation expands throughout the watershed. We're talking with Betsy Bruner from Circle, the South Yuba River Citizens League, who put out a preliminary cannabis impact survey report recently. Betsy, let's talk about this. First of all, what the heck is a cannabis impact survey report? Sure. So in March of this year, we released a survey to better understand a couple things. The first is better understand what some of the challenges cannabis cultivators are facing in the process of coming into compliance, as well as maybe some reasons why they don't want to engage in the process. And we also conducted the survey to better understand how the ever-changing landscape of cannabis cultivation is impacting the community writ large, especially when we're watching cannabis cultivation expand in the watershed. Just exactly how is cannabis cultivation changing in the last few years? Right now, there hasn't been a lot of really concrete data that's been able to be collected. So far, what uh, many people are working off of is some of it's been Google Earth satellite photos, wherein they can detect larger scale cultivation sites. But anecdotally, what we're hearing is that we think it's, you know, it's growing and it's changing and um, especially from you know, the 70s, where it tended to be more small-scale, people like to say mom-pa operations, into a legalized industry wherein people are cultivating more, and there are larger sites, and there are more people doing it. Well, how much of a response did you get back? 
We received 134 responses, and we did work to really move the survey into different circles. One of the challenges that we did face was kind of reflected in some of the survey, the people that did reply to the survey results. So there is a concern about um, anonymity. Uh, of course, all responses were kept anonymous, and we didn't even collect uh, any demographic data. So, But people were concerned about anonymity, not having the survey traced back to them. Um, and people were also concerned about what was going to happen to or with the results from the survey. So we did try to do some messaging to let people know that really what we were trying to do is gather the data so that we could share it back with the community, with the county, with the Cannabis Alliance, with anybody making decisions or impacted by it um, in a really transparent way. And so that's why we released this survey. So we were unsure what to anticipate, but we were happy that we did receive the results that we did and that people were willing to participate. I would imagine that Circle's interest in this could be focused on things like uh, water usage, uh, where does the wastewater go, and environmental impacts of grows. Is that pretty much on target? Yeah, this survey is part of our Growing Green for the Yuba program, which we started back in 2013. And the intent of that was to say, hey, we know cannabis cultivation is occurring here. And what we want to do is make sure that we're mitigating environmental impacts, including things like, you're right, water diversions, pollution runoff, and fire hazards and so forth. So yeah, that's why we became really interested in this issue. And you're just getting the results now, so you haven't had time to really digest all of the uh, information that you've gotten. Well, we did go through and analyze the results, and we did come up with some findings that really helped shed a little bit of light on people's satisfaction with the compliance process and what some of their major concerns were. And that goes for cultivators and community members alike. What were some of the results you got as far as compliance, say? So some of the results that we got indicated that out of the people who are cultivating, only 19% had come into compliance and 14% were in the process. 25% had not and 21% were not interested. Now, this is kind of reflective of the people that took the survey, because if we look at the broader numbers, the estimate is is that only 3% of cultivators have come into compliance. That's an amazing number there. We've worked for, for years trying to set up all of the rules and get everybody to agree on the rules and, and the laws and such, and still only 3%. That's a pretty low number. It is. And we did find out some of the reasons why people decided not to come into compliance. And the, the top three reasons that were cited was, first, the regulatory burden. So it was too complicated. It was too overwhelming, so much paperwork, et cetera. Um, the second was cost. It cost money to come into compliance to install all of the safety precautions and, you know, everything from sprinklers to um, structural requirements. And then the third was fear or lack of trust in government institutions. Did the issue of drones come up? We didn't put that in the survey um, because that did not, that was not proposed until after the survey was launched. Did the subject of penalties come in if you're not compliant? Absolutely. People overwhelmingly said that they wanted greater enforcement of the rules in place. 
specifically in regard to large-scale illegal cultivation sites, it's precisely because of the environmental impacts, but also because of the impacts it has on local culture. So some things that were cited were when people decide to open or start a larger-scale cultivation site in particular, what happens is you see increased traffic, you see um, changes to the, the way the neighborhood looks, so large fences, barking dogs, increased crime, or what people interpret as a, you know, a lack of safety. So it changes that. But then more importantly, or maybe to delve a little bit deeper, another thing that it changes is the whole structure of the community. And so when you have people that are only cultivating and, and making most of their their money or all of their money from cultivation, then it no longer is what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago where people would cultivate on the side and then also have a job as a plumber or as a school teacher or as a, you know, insert profession. And so you've, you've kind of streamlined the community in many ways and people have moved towards cultivation in part and also in part because it's increasingly expensive to live in Nevada County. So some people also cited, hey, you know, I don't know how else I'm supposed to afford the taxes, rent, groceries, gas, and so forth. Are there going to be any actions that are going to result from this survey? Well, we really conducted the survey because we wanted to give all of the stakeholders involved data that they could use. So to date, we've really just had anecdotal evidence. My neighbor does this, or I see water diversions, or I see more sites popping up in my neighborhood. And this actually gives us numbers behind it and concrete data that can be used to inform any revisions to policies and procedures. And so we hope that all of the people involved in the compliance process will read these results and take them into consideration if and when there are revisions to, for example, the process of coming into compliance. Since Circle got such a low response to this, do you think maybe another uh, survey might be in in order? Well, we would like to potentially, once this is out and we have some more conversations, there is the potential to do a follow-up survey um, asking people about more specifics of what they would like to see, um, but we don't have anything currently slated or scheduled. Suppose somebody was listening to this interview and they decide, you know, I'd like to participate in this survey. Can they still do that? The survey right now is closed, but we do welcome emails, phone calls, feedback. I'm happy to continue to add to the data that we do have and help flesh it out a little bit more and conversations with community members that can dig into some more of the specifics are always really helpful as we talk with other people and we have conversations with the major players. We're talking with Betsy Bruner from Circle. Uh, why don't you give folks the way to get in hold of you with the websites and phone numbers and emails and such? Sure. People can email me directly at Betsy B. So that's B-E-T-S-Y-B at yubariver.org. Or they can give me a phone call at area code 530-265-5961, extension 220. That's all real good information. Circle's always looking out for us here in Nevada County, and we just want to thank all of you for uh, keeping an eye on things for us. 
All right. Thank you so much, Felton. All righty. We've been talking with Betsy Bruner from Circle. Have a good day. Thanks. That's our newscast for tonight. You can listen to the extended version of the full Cannabis Impact Survey discussion on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from Nevada County Registrar of Voters, announcing all emergency workers responding to wildfires are authorized to cast provisional ballots in Nevada County. Information available at the Nevada County Elections Office. 530-265-1298. And the Pizza Joint, offering New York-style pizzas by the Slicer Pie, cheese or meatball manicotti, and more. Open daily, takeout or curbside pickup for social distancing. Commercial Street, Nevada City, thepizzajointnc.com. Stick around at 6.30, we have the California Report magazine. How tribal leaders at the northernmost tip of California are addressing domestic violence by talking openly about the traumas of the past. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great weekend.